mental ill challenges, sometimes people sit in darkness when the lights are still on, right? So everyone around them thinks everything is okay, but they're going through a really, really hard time. And, and because of that, a lot of times people start thinking that this is a faith issue. This is an Iman issue. Like Allah is doing this because I'm not a good enough Muslim. And that's not the case at all, right? Because we know, even when it comes to physical issues, some of the most, you know, perhaps individuals that are on the deen and practicing have physical challenges. So nice to see everyone here tonight. Alhamdulillah. Thanks for coming out. I know it's a cold, brisk evening here in Dallas. MashaAllah. But, you know, it's amazing to see the work that's happening here. I really feel like Isra is a place that's bringing people together, hearts together, right, with a common goal of increasing our love for this beautiful deen we have, our love for Allah, the love for the Quran, and love for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there's really no other better goal than that, right? And uh, I got a chance to uh, spend some time with Mufti in Medina in November. I got a chance to sneak into his uh, walking tour of Majid Nabawi. So it was neat, you know? And I think really the, the, really the biggest takeaway for me, subhanAllah, is, um, you know, when, when someone loves the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you, you see it in their actions, and you see it in what they're trying to do, and I, I really feel like Isra is about that. So, may Allah put barakah in everything uh, Isra is doing, um, and for everyone to be attending this as well, alhamdulillah. All right, so um, just to give you guys a little bit of background, um, so tonight's conversation, I think the flyer said, a conversation on mental health, right? Um, and, and just to uh, frame that, inshallah, in a way that I think, you know, we're not going to make this into like a lecture, inshallah, um, well, but I'll kind of just to start off the conversation a bit, inshallah, and then we could jump into it with any direction we want. Um, and, and really, I think my intention tonight was really just to bring um, some light to the topic of mental health, especially within the context of, of Islam, inshallah, and Islamic psychology. Um, so for, for you guys that don't know, my name is Mahboob. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I'm a co-founder of Rahma Institute along with my wife Salma, who is here as well. She should be sitting up here with me. <laughs> so, um, and our, our, really our focus is uh, twofold. One is to really bring uh, more awareness and education on topics about family life, about um, you know, growing up here in America as a youth, for example, about parenting, other challenges that we see in our relationships but really addressing them from an Islamic perspective, but also like a mental health perspective, right? So that's the first goal of what we're trying to do. And then the second goal is to provide counseling services. And we try to provide counseling services within a, a Islamic framework so we you know, understand what uh, role Islam plays in our lives and how does that you know, um, uh, contribute to how we need to help each other out in, in counseling or therapy or whatever challenges we face, inshallah. And, and that conversation about using religion or faith or culture within counseling, it's really like a growing thing that's happening more and more now. Culturally sensitive therapy is it's a big part of really providing impactful therapy. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Because really before, um, especially as a licensed counselor, you know, um, you know uh, what you study in school, um, you know, the training that you have, it's sometimes like a one-size-fits-all approach, right? But especially as people of faith, we know we have specific beliefs, tendencies, you know, uh, cultural nuances that we want to hold on to and that are dear to us, right? 
um, and then being able to provide counseling within that perspective. <laughs> so why talk about mental health? Um, and, and, you know, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Deen, that he has created mankind and humankind in the best of forms, right? And we know that. And Allah says that his creation is the best of the best, right? And now for, for us to maintain that, that beauty physically and, and mentally and emotionally and spiritually that Allah wants us to maintain, he, he sent the Quran down to us as a book of guidance, right? So we have a, a source of guidance that tells us how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to behave, what are our ethics, what should we do in good times and bad times, and find answers for that in the Quran, right? And then he sent the Prophet as a living example, right? So we have an example so we could follow, right? Allah says in the Quran that if the, if the earth was filled, filled of angels and angels are walking on earth, Allah was sent an a, a angel as a messenger, right? But he sent the Prophet so we actually have another human we could look to, right? So we can see how the Prophet reacted in times of goodness, right? But also in, in times of difficulty, right? So, so Allah gives us this, this framework like, okay, I, I, I have created the mankind in the best of forms, right? And then here's how you can maintain that, right? And the Prophet he said, uh, there's two blessings that each one of us has, that each person has, that we take for granted, right? And do you guys know what those two blessings are? According to the Prophet Yes. Is it time? Yeah, blessing of time. And what else? Health. Blessing of health, right? So in this context of health, so this time and health, those are the two blessings that each one of us has here that sometimes we don't really take advantage of. We don't use it in the best of ways. So time is one and the health is the other one. So when you look at health, a lot of times when we think of health, what's the first thing we think about when we talk about health? Physical health, right? So, you know, physical health means like how is someone physically doing? Are they, you know, getting their annual checkup? Are they, you know, uh, eating well? Are they, you know, exercising? Are they showing any type of like physical disability, right? And, and that's how we typically gauge health. But really in Islam, health is um, not just restricted to our physical health, but really health is, is, is a combination of your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health, and your and your social health, how we get along with people, right? And in fact, you know, subhanAllah, uh, my wife and I, we got a chance to study in Istanbul um, the, the topic of Islamic psychology and Islamic counseling, and we got a chance to visit one of the first hospitals that was built in the Ottoman Empire. And the cool thing about this hospital was that it wasn't just a, a medical facility. It was attached, and attached to it was a masjid, right? with like a, like a whole madrasa in the school there. And whenever someone came to that hospital, no matter what ailment they came with, they were being checked to see, okay, how, are, how is this person doing physically? How are they doing emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and socially, right? So this whole concept of, of treating someone, or not just treating someone, but making sure that all of us as individuals in this faith are doing our best to align these five elements was a core part of not just the treatment that they were receiving, but the day-to-day -day of, of the Muslims as well, right? And that's really powerful, because I think right now what we do, unfortunately, is we kind of silo all of these things, right? So we're having a discussion about mental health, but really mental health kind of encompasses it, all of these things, right? So we can't kind of pick and choose each one of these. For us to function in, in the way that Allah wants us to function, for us to function in the best of forms that Allah talks about in Surah Teen, right? We have to make sure that we're emotionally well, 
we're mentally well, we're physically well, we're spiritually well, and we're socially well, right? And ideally, when you bring those elements together, and we're all going to have our ups and downs of those elements, now you're living as an individual that's taking advantage of their health and their time, right? So, so when we have this conversation about mental health, I don't want you guys thinking, oh, okay, you know, this is like this one topic that we have just to kind of check a check box and say, okay, we've talked about mental health here at Isra, and we're good to go now, right? Mental health is really a lifestyle. Mental health is, is a way that we all carry our ways, our, our life every single day, right? So how do we do that? So when we talk about mental health, I want you guys to think about it this way, inshallah. So, there's, so we talked about the importance of mental health, right? And maintaining that. So now, to, in order to maintain your mental health, there's mental wellness that you have to practice. So what goes into mental wellness? What are things that we could do from our religion, but then also from like a, a more like psychological perspective to make sure that we're maintaining good mental health, right? So at the basic level, within you know, the Sunnah of the Prophet the Prophet actually teaches us really, really important things to make sure that we're carrying our life in a way that's, that's sound for our mental well-being. So let's talk about some examples, right? So, for example, the Prophet uh, he encouraged the, um, us to go physically go work out, right? To practice some things like archery, for example, right? To go swimming, to do horseback riding, right? Now, all of these things I've talked about, they might talk like, sound like they're a physical activity that keeps you physically well. But a lot of these activities are also for your mental wellness, right? So one thing is like, you know, when the Prophet says, I'm talking about archery, archery wasn't just a, a activity that made someone ready for like war or battle, right? Which is kind of like what we think about if you guys watch Air Tural, right? I mean, it's all about the bow and arrow, right? But really, when, when the scholars of Islam, they say that when someone was using archery, the one of the biggest skills that you need to use in archery when you do it the right way is your mental focus on where, where you want the bow to go, right? So when you stretch back your, your, your bow and arrow, you're actually aligning your whole body and you're releasing it and you're focusing on your target of where you want to go, where you want that bow to go, right? So the scholars in Islam, they say that that was actually a, a huge part of establishing someone's mental wellness. It wasn't just their physical wellness, right? But it was their mental wellness. So other aspects, right? You know, we know um, smiling is an act of charity. You guys, you guys heard this hadith before, right? So, so why did the Prophet say that? You know, it's not like you know, just, you're just you're kind of raising your hand and giving donations to someone as a source of, of charity, right? We all can do it, but when you smile, what happens? One, it makes someone that you smile at it makes them feel better, right? Maybe that person's having a bad day, right? Maybe they, you know, are going through their own you know mental or physical challenges. The fact that someone's showing them happiness and smiling, that's that person's mental wellness, subhanAllah, right? Now, when you smile, what happens if you're smiling? Even if you're having a bad day, if you just force to smile, what, is, what, what happens? You kind of start feeling better inside, right? We have this thing in my house, like, hey, look, if someone's actually like in a cranky mood or like not doing well, uh, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, we're all doing well, alhamdulillah. Um, <laughs> hey, look, let, like, just go give that person like a 30 second hug, right? Because what happens after you give someone a 30 second hug? Like, you're just kind of like, okay, fine, like, yeah, I get it. We're all, we're all one, we're, we're a family together. Like, we could get through this together, right? So, that physical touch, that smile makes someone feel better, right? So, the Prophet is, is, is encouraging these things. The idea of visiting someone that's sick, subhanAllah, right? 
like we honestly we overlook some of these things. We 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 forget why these sunnahs have been established by the Prophet Sunnah, right? It's definitely, they're acts of, of of good deeds that we want to do. But when you go visit someone sick, what happens usually? That person who is sick, they start feeling better, right? I mean, even just recently when I was in in, in Medina, there was a brother who got very very sick. Subhanallah, he couldn't leave his hotel for for a few days, um, and a few of us went to go visit him. And right when he saw his, saw us, like his 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 whole like well being got uplifted, right? And I'll I'll be honest, with you, I was kind of hesitant to go. I'm like, wait, I'm in Medina, I don't want to get sick. I'm trying to like get to Umrah and so on and so forth. But me just going and visiting this person also made me feel well, right? So visiting the sick, you know, taking care of the neighbors, right? You know, they say that today in our world today, it's the first time in human history that we physically live so close to people. Right? I mean, you guys got all got neighbors probably like a short, like 10 second walk from your door, right? But not too far ago, like even here in Dallas, there used to be farms. And each of these farms would be like an acre long, right? Just to go see your neighbor, you would have to get onto like a horse or something just to go see someone else, right? But now we live in a world where we're physically closer to other humans more than any other time in our human history, right? But they say one of the biggest disabilities in the world right now, the number one disability in the world today is depression. Crazy, right? That's a crazy stat to think about. The number one disability in the world today is depression, right? So the question comes up, if we're so physically connected and close to people, right, why are we becoming more and more depressed, right? Because they say one of the best ways to help overcome depression is to get out and, and meet people and be around people that bring you good energy and, and bring you good, uh, a good vibe, right? So if studies show that we're physically so close to other human beings, but we're not even making the effort to know who is around us, we're definitely going to be you know, in a situation where we're getting more and more isolated, right? So the Prophet says, I'm encouraged what? To visit your neighbor, to get to know your neighbor, right? The Prophet says, I'm encouraged us to go pray in the masjid five times a day, right? Not just so we're building that relationship with Allah, but now for our mental wellness, we're seeing other people. I mean, just coming here now, we're interacting with other people. We're having a conversation. Maybe you're meeting new people. You're, you're getting a chance to smile at other people, right? I mean, so that whole connection, right, is happening. So... A lot of times when we think about mental health, we don't think about it from this perspective, right? We only sometimes think about it from the, the idea of mental illness. And we'll get to that for a minute too, inshallah, right? So within our deen, subhanAllah, right? Allah has given us prescriptions and ways to maintain our mental health. And the way we do it is through this regimen of mental wellness, okay? Like it's kind of like taking vitamins. Like a lot of times... We don't take vitamins because we have a specific illness, right? But we take vitamins as a way to prevent an illness, right? We want to build our immune system. You know, like before I went to Umrah, for example, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be around a lot of people, so I'm going to pump up my vitamin C. I'm going to make sure my immune system is strong enough, right? And I'm kind of like a dictator of this in my house. I'm like, hey, guys, if we're going to travel, I'm telling you right now, if you get sick, it's not on me. I told you guys to take your vitamin C. <laughs> But you do this because you're trying to make sure that you, don't, you don't physically get sick, you don't get ill, right? So all these things that Prophet all these acts of, of, of you know, worship that Allah is giving us and the Prophet is showing us is to maintain our mental health, 
right? And any questions about that? Does that does that kind of make sense, make sense? Inshallah. Now, so that's for all of us. That's for every single person here. You know, and that's for any believer who has challenges with their mental health or not, who has challenges with their emotional wellness or not. That's something that we practice and do every single day in our lives. To what? To do why? So we could have a a better emotional and mental well-being, right? Because Allah knows us as our creator, as our Rabb, the one that knows us better than we know ourselves. If a person could do this, then they're going to be in a place that's better for them, right? And subhanAllah, you know, as a licensed counselor, like now when I see people that are depressed, if I see individuals that are perhaps cutting themselves up, like these are real things, guys, subhanAllah. It's, it's so sad to see Muslims and non-Muslims, right? If you see people that have specific addictions, they can't get over their addictions, right? And you, you try to trace back what happened, what led to that specific activity, what led to that behavior. It's often rooted when they get to a point where they feel so lonely about themselves and who they are and their problems. They get so stuck in that. They don't know where to go to ask for, to ask for help. They start losing a connection with their parents and their family and their friends. And they get into this really depressive state. And now they've tried to find happiness somewhere else, right? So... So that's the one thing, if you guys walk away with anything today, is that our religion, subhanAllah, it emphasizes and it, and it establishes the importance of mental health. And if you guys ever studied like sciences like Makassid, where you talk about like the purposes of our deen, right? When the scholars look at our religion and say, why has fiqh and sharia and, and the rulings in, in Islam, why have they been established a certain way? One of the reasons is, why, is to preserve the intellect, to preserve the mind, right? So making sure that we are, are individuals that have a sound, mental health, inshallah. So that's one way to look at it. Now the, the question comes up about mental illness, right? And I think a lot of times, sometimes we don't separate those two, like mental health versus mental illness, right? Mental illness is when there's a diagnosable um, mental challenge or emotional challenge that someone is going through, okay? You know, when someone is physically sick, you might know that something is wrong with that person or they're going through some type of sickness, right? I mean, a lot of times when you go to, to the hospital to go visit someone, you've, you visit them because you're like, hey, this person got into a car accident. And when you go see them, you can see that they physically got hurt in that accident, right? Or maybe someone had a surgery and you go visit that person, you, you can see physically they had that surgery, right? Um, if someone has cancer, so on and so forth. So you can see that. When someone has a mental illness, Sometimes it's hard to see that they're going through a challenge. Maybe they're going through severe depression. Maybe they're going through anxiety. Maybe they're having a hard time socializing with other people. Um, maybe they have a bipolar condition, whatever it is. So in these mental illnesses, sometimes we don't see them. So we don't really give them as much emphasis, right? Uh, we don't maybe talk about them as much as they should be talked about. And subhanAllah, here in our community now, we're talking about it more and more, which I think is really, really important. But, you know, when you study our Islamic uh, history, you'll notice that less than about 100 to 150 years after the passing away of the Prophet the first mental health hospital was established in what is modern-day Iraq today. SubhanAllah. Only 100 to 150 years after the death of the Prophet And less than 100 years after that, one was built in modern-day Egypt. And then a few hundred years after that, there was one built in what's modern-day Syria. And then if you guys ever studied the um, golden era, era of Islamic history, 
you'll notice that a lot of the scholars at that time, they did a lot of research and a lot of emphasis on the sciences. And one of the sciences that they really focused on and researched and really um, wrote a lot of different you know, uh, publications on was around mental health. Like how to treat specific mental illnesses, right? There, there's, there's scholars within our history that talked about things like you know, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorders, when, when you know, someone, uh, an individual keeps doing a specific action over and over again, like they keep washing their hands over and over again to the point where they're not sure if their hands are clean or not, right? One of the first individuals that wrote a treatment for this was in our Islamic history, um, and that treatment is still being followed today in modern psychology, subhanAllah, right? So even mental illness was something that was a core part of how it was addressed within the Ummah of the Prophet right? So that's beautiful. If you take a step back and think about what we talked about, right? We said Islam talks about the importance of maintaining mental health on a day-to-day basis, right? And that's applicable for every single person here, all of us as Muslims in this religion. Mental health, mental wellness, emotional wellness, social wellness, etc. is part of our day-to-day. That's the vitamins we got to take, right? And the prescription that Allah gives us is in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet like we talked about. Praying your prayers, you know, visiting those that are sick, smiling, being positive, right? All these things that we talk about today, like, have you guys heard of, like, mindfulness nowadays? You guys heard of this term mindfulness, right? It's, it's like a buzzword, you know, in psychology, right? Mindfulness is rooted um, from our history of dhikr, right? And really being able to focus and remember Allah, right? And, and, and really asking Allah for forgiveness and, and having the ability to kind of take yourself away and becoming mindful of, of, of who you are, mindful of your surroundings, mindful of being in the moment, right? That's rooted in our religion, right? When the companions say when they would visit the Prophet the Prophet would like turn and give those individuals so much attention that they would think they're the only person in the room, right? So the Prophet was so mindful of what's happening. You guys probably heard of like emotional intelligence, right? Our Prophet always emphasized emotional intelligence, right? I mean, if you guys know the story of the Bedouin who once came and he urinated in the Prophet's mosque, right? You guys know the story, right? What happened? A lot of the Sahaba got really upset. They pulled out their swords, like, hey, you can't do this. Like, you know, what are you, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you doing this in the masjid? It's like a holy place. You can't just urinate wherever you want to urinate. And they were mad. They were, like, upset. Like, it wasn't get physical. And the Prophet comes by with his emotional intelligence, he calms the situation down. He asks the Sahaba to come bring some water and, and pour it out, clean the area. He sits down with the individual and he talks to him. Right? That's emotional intelligence. When a man came to the Prophet asking for permission to fornicate, the Prophet sat down with him in a very intelligent way and discussed that with him without getting heated, without getting, how could you do that? This is haram. You know, this is not in our religion. That's emotional intelligence. Right? Once one of the companions, the Prophet sent them to do a chore, and then the, the Sahaba, he forgot about it. So he was young, so he forgot about it, he got distracted, he started uh, playing in the street with the other kids. And the Prophet got worried about him, so went out looking for him, and he saw him playing on the streets. And he just went behind him, and he kind of covered his eyes or ears and just smiled at him. He didn't scold him, he didn't yell at him, he didn't say, how dare you, I'm the Prophet, I'm telling you what to do, and you forget about it, you got distracted. That's emotional intelligence, right? So our deen is full of examples and is based on these, on these elements of, of establishing these 
critical things that we need to have as humans so we can function the right way. So our religion talks about mental wellness and also addresses mental illness, right? So when we had these conversations, inshallah, you know, at, at places like Isra, within our masajids, within our homes, whatever it is, we shouldn't be shy about having these conversations. Like, honestly, like, I think, you know, um, when I first started doing this work, I, I remember we used to run, like, office hours at, uh, at IACC here, um, and, you know, my wife and I, we would volunteer, and we, we, you know, and, and it was interesting, because people would, whenever they would talk about counseling, it's like, okay, like, no one, could, no one should know we're talking about counseling, right? No one should know, like, you know, this is actually happening in our masjid, like, these problems are happening. And we would kind of, like, throw, like, a lot of these issues, like, under the rug and not really want to talk about it. But now, alhamdulillah, we've come, like, a long way where someone was recently telling me, like, it's so cool to have a counselor. Like, it's like, hey, you know, like, when you, when you meet someone, like, hey, what did you have for, co- you know, what type of coffee do you like? So they said, this is like a joke. Like, if you're from California, like, you talk about what type of coffee you love, you talk about your counselor. Like, it's like your counselor, like your best friend, right? So, like, it's becoming more and more of a norm now. <laughs> Which is cool, right? But we have to remember that in our in our deen, like this is the, this is the reason because Allah knows the importance of of maintaining this wellness, inshallah. And I'll I'll stop with one story and then we'll kind of open up the question and answer. So, one part of mental health is also making sure that we know where to go and how to go for help, right? Um, and there's a concept in our religion called nasiya. So you you, you seek advice, you seek. Uh, opinions, you seek um, clarity for whatever challenges you have, you go through. And even our Prophet Sallallahu he was, you know, subhanAllah, so amazing in, in who he was, and so humble in, in who he was, that even one time, when he, when him and his wife Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, had a little bit of a disagreement, they asked Abu Bakr to come, may Allah be pleased with them, to come and, and like, mediate between them, right? So the Prophet Sallallahu gave his side of the story, Aisha gave her side of the story. And then it was pretty interesting because then when Aisha, who was the wife of the Prophet, but also the daughter of who? Abu Bakr, right? So now she's addressing the Prophet as a husband, right? And she says, well, when you know, the Prophet does this, but she wasn't saying Prophet, she was saying Muhammad because that's her husband. So Abu Bakr got upset and he's like, oh, don't address the Prophet this way, right? And then the Prophet, he gets up and he stands between Abu Bakr and Aisha. He says, yeah, Abu Bakr, I can't, we asked you to come here to solve our problems, not to create more problems, right? And then after Abu Bakr left, uh, the Prophet said someone was kind of like joking with Aisha. He said, oh, look, I had to even get up and save you from your own dad, right? So somehow like it shows you like the beauty of the Prophet and how even though he's a leader of our ummah, right? This amazing Prophet that we had, he was humble, to, uh, humble enough to know that, okay, look, if I need another perspective, if I need some advice about something, I'm okay with that, right? When Revelation came to the Prophet for the first time, who did he run to? His wife, Khutija. May Allah be pleased with her. When the Prophet was about to pass away, whose lap did he pass away in? Aisha. Right, SubhanAllah. Right, so our Prophet knew the importance of these things, right? And, and that's why we shouldn't be, you know, uh, we should definitely be individuals as a community that really talk about these topics at our forefront, inshallah, and, and embrace them. So, really the main takeaways for all of us today, inshallah, is number one, always maintain our mental health, right? Find ways to emotionally and mentally try to, to have that regimen where we're trying to build that up, inshallah, right? And there's no better place to look than the life of the Prophet and the examples he gives us. Because these small things that we might think are small are actually prescribed to us by the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, Allah, right? 
is the wisdom in that. So number one, that's how we maintain our mental health, right? Now, if we're ever going through a challenge of mental illness, if you know someone that's going through a challenge of mental illness, I mean, there's a lot of studies out there, right? They say one out of four individuals will go through some type of like mental health or mental illness challenge at least once in their lifetime. There's more and more studies that are showing the increasing rate of suicide in, 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 our, in our world today, right? A lot of individuals that have suicidal thoughts and tendencies typically have an underlying mental illness issue that wasn't really diagnosed, right? So th- there's a lot of studies out there that talk about mental illness. So as a community, we have to rise up to this, right? We have to, just like how we talk about our prayers, our fasting, Ramadan, reading Quran, this is one of the things that we have to talk about. So our own, like raising our own taskiyah, our own tarbiyah, is based upon how do we make sure that we're practicing these things so we can always be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, socially sound. And if we're ever going through a mental illness challenge, or if we know someone that's going through a mental illness challenge, our dean gives us a solution to that. And that's to try to find someone that could help you get through that. Just like how you go to a doctor that perhaps, you know, could help you diagnose what your physical issue is, what your physical illness is, and gives you a, a, a plan to work on medication, whatever it is, to overcome that or, or maintain it. The same thing with mental illness. If you know someone that's going through a challenge or if you know someone that's, or if it's yourself, seek out a professional that can help you out, right? Alhamdulillah, we have more and more resources that could help you with that, you know, Muslim counselors, Muslim, Muslim therapists, Muslim psychologists, Muslim psychiatrists, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our imams also know, scholars know where they could go, what resources they have access to, right? So we got to work together as a community, inshallah, to help each other out. And this is one of the things that we have to help each other out as well, inshallah. All right? So I did a lot of talking. So the flyer says a conversation. Conversation is usually two-way, right? That's just one way. So um, what do you guys think? Um, any, any questions so far? If, if I t- anything about what I talked about or that I could help address, inshallah, or we could talk about together, inshallah? Yes, question. So the question was, uh, like, how do you decide between coming to a Muslim therapist and what are the benefits of doing that versus seeing a, a someone that maybe doesn't have the same faith background as you, right? So, um, so just like in medicine, there's different specialties underneath mental health, right? And, you know, we may not have the entire specialties when it comes to mental health in our Muslim community, right? So if someone has a very specific, you know, challenge that they're going through, where there isn't a expert within like a, like a, you can't find like a Muslim therapist that, that kind of specializes in that, then it's important for us to seek that help wherever Allah provides that health, health, right? So even in, like in, in physical health, right? You might go to a pediatrician for something when you're young. You know, um, if someone subhanAllah is struggling with cancer, they might go to an oncologist, et cetera, et cetera, right? So sometimes, you know, like, like for example, a lot of times I'll see individuals that have very severe substance abuse issues, right? And there's some drugs out there that, subhanAllah, they just um, are so dangerous and so impactful on how they change a human's behavior and their thinking. And the treatment that goes behind, behind, behind that, it's, it's next level, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not sure if we really have the right resources to help someone like that in our community right now. Like I've seen Muslims that are like on severe like fentanyl addictions, right? 
you know. Um, so one, to answer your question, one is I think I would say it's dependent on the type of treatment that the individual needs. And if they could find a good match for that treatment within the Muslim community, then, then maybe that's a good avenue to go with. Um, number two, it's also um, when you're seeking a therapist or a counselor, it's a match as well, right? So sometimes, like just like if you go to a doctor, like maybe you don't get a good vibe with a certain doctor, but you go to another doctor, you might see the exact same thing, but you feel a little bit more comfortable with the other doctor, right? So in that case, you know, sometimes if you know someone that has the same cultural or faith background as you, you might naturally feel more comfortable with that person, right? Um, but if you feel like, hey, look, I, I want to talk to someone that's a little bit more neutral, that's something that you have to consider and, and, and think about, right? But I do think that it's critical and important to find someone that has the same values and ethics and belief system as you because inshallah that the the treatment plan and, and the diagnosis and the help they, they provide would be something that's more aligned with who you are as an individual, right? And I know, um, um, and I don't want you guys to think I'm seeing that because I'm talking to Muslims, right? Like, I would honestly sometimes even say that to anyone out there, right? And I'm telling you, like, even in psychology today, there's a lot of studies around culturally sensitive therapy, right? When I first moved to Dallas from Chicago, one of the first, like, counseling centers I saw was called Biblical Counseling Center. I was like, whoa, this is kind of interesting. And everyone there was a licensed professional counselor providing therapy from a biblical perspective, right? So... I don't think as Muslims we should be shy to say that, hey, look, if we have a specific faith group and, and we have a f specific belief system, and if we can align someone you know, that's seeking counseling with that belief system, great, right? And you know, when I see clients, I'm, I'm very careful about saying, okay, could I really help this individual with what they're coming to me with, right? And if I can't, what are the resources that are out, are out there that's, that's best for that person and what they're going through, right? And if it's a non-Muslim that they need help from, then that's where they got to see that treatment, inshallah. I hope that helped, inshallah. Yeah. Thank you. What else you guys got? Yes? Uh, so two questions I have. Uh, first question, how would you differentiate uh, like emotional health and mental health? Okay. Because I think often... I, I see those as like just synonyms for each other, I guess. So I'm just curious how you would define that, and I guess I'll ask Okay, sure, yeah. So the question was like, how do you differentiate mental health with emotional health? And that's a really, really good question. You know, I think, so if you look at Islamic psychology and how Allah created the human, Allah created within us different um, faculty, right? The, the mind, the nafs, the soul, the heart, right? So there is a differentiation between our um, what we maybe from a cognitive perspective from a mental perspective what we think what we internalize versus maybe from our emotional perspective what we how we act how we feel how we behave right and a lot of those are triggered between um, is something more deep rooted in how we think about something or is it maybe more deep rooted in our how we behave or emotionally show that, right? So so maybe one way to think about it that makes it easier is um, like 
they say the average human has like, I think it's like 4,000 automatic thoughts every single day. Think about it. I mean, if you're just sitting, you know, in class and you guys are getting bored, which no one gets bored in class, I know that. Bad example. But it happens to all of us. It happens to me all the time. And like, and you're thinking about the most random stuff sometimes. Okay, what am I going to do for dinner? Why is this professor wearing a shirt? Why is this guy wearing a black shirt with blue pants? I mean, I don't know. What does it go through your mind, right? Um, but those are automatic thoughts. Your mind is always kind of processing information and thinking about stuff. But you don't emotionally act upon those things all the time, right? There's only a few things that maybe take your energy and your time and then you act upon it or you feel something about it, right? So I think the way you could sometimes differentiate them, and you're right, there's a lot of overlap between the two, right? Because usually when you mentally think about something and it starts like really, you know, taking over your thinking, you emotionally might feel drained, you might emotionally feel like a little bit more sad, etc. right? So the best way to think about it is, okay, mental health might be things that are inside of you that you're not really expressing, and emotional might be the things that you're actually uh, behaving on, and it's kind of being um, shown in your behavior and how you're acting and how you're feeling about something, right? Um, and, 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 and again, like there's, there's a lot of overlap in the two, but like maybe how that manifests itself is like someone mentally might be kind of thinking, you know what, my life is so hard, right? And maybe the first time to think about it, like sometimes we all have like hard thoughts, right? Like when the prophet said someone's son passed away, um, and the prophet said walked into the room, he started to cry, right? And the Sahaba, they, one of the Sahaba's like, Ya Rasulullah, tears in your eyes. So look at that response, right? It's crazy, if you think about it, right? Because the Sahaba is surprised, like, Ya Rasulullah, this is a little small infant. You know this infant's gonna go straight to Jannah. And you're like the prophet of our Ummah. Why are you crying? Like, you know this baby is gonna be in a better place, right? But the prophet says, he answers that. He says, our, our eyes are filled with sorrow, our tears, right? Our hearts are filled with grief, but we never say something that displeases Allah. Right? So that shows you, like, even the Prophet says something. Like, even though mentally he knows, like, this, this baby is going to go to Jannah. This baby is going to be, you know, a intercession for me in the year after, etc., etc. Emotionally, he's showing sadness. Right? And he's saying that's okay as a human being. Right? So, so now, in a more, maybe in a more practical day to day example, like, if someone's like, you know, um, going through a hard time in their life. Maybe they lose their job, maybe they lose a close friend, right? Maybe they're not socially getting along with people. Maybe they kind of internalize it a lot. They kind of think about it, think about it, think about it. But maybe they're still hanging out with everyone, they're still playing basketball, they're still showing up for dinners, etc. But over time, you'll see that now their thinking is impacting their behavior. So maybe they're not socializing anymore as much. Maybe they're not coming out to play basketball, right? Maybe they're getting super, you know, isolated and, and not, you know, coming out of their house, et cetera, right? So now their behavior is showing what they're inter internalizing inside of their mind and their emotions are kind of showing up, right? So, so yeah, there's a lot of overlap. So, you know, um, it's, it's, I think it's, kind of, it's a bit, you know, hard sometimes to see what's truly mental versus emotional. But think of emotional, like what's actually your behavior is kind of showing and mental is like more what you're thinking and what you're internalizing. That makes sense. Okay, Michelle. And what was your second question? Uh, yeah, so I guess like, how, what would you recommend for maybe, like, I, I don't know your clientele, but if you 
see like a lot more younger people, like older people, probably mixed. Yeah. Um, but say for like the average like history attendee here, that's like on the younger side, maybe he's not financially capable to like um, visit a therapist or a mental health professional, like maybe yeah. on a, a weekly basis or any consistent basis. Um, what advice would you give to those? Uh, sure. To those individuals. Sure. Inshallah. So. Uh, the question was like, you know, what, what advice would you give to like a younger crowd who may not be able to afford um, seeing a therapist on a consistent basis? Um, and, and before I answer that question, let me just kind of give you guys, because you also asked like, what type of clientele that I typically see, right? So I think in general, um, with therapists, like you'll see, um, so there's, there's a lot of individuals that come for counseling that don't qualify or kind of fall into like the mental illness category. A lot of times, honestly, we'll just see individuals that hit like a specific challenge in life, um, and they want to—they need some like perspective, or they want to work through that specific challenge, right? So that challenge could be like, hey, um, it, it's not always bad. That's the thing that's amazing about this field, and I think more and more Muslims are realizing too. Like, I can come talk to a therapist even when I'm not going through a hard time, but maybe things might get kind of hard, right? So the best example is that, like, is, is like premarital counseling or premarital education. When even before someone gets married, because I mean, you know, when a couple first comes together, like they're not didn't get didn't do anything wrong, right? Their relationship isn't like about to become very sour or broken, but they proactively want to learn the skills of how to have a successful relationship, right? So I've noticed how did that? Like I think more and more young adults are coming for counseling when they feel like they're about to hit like a like a wall or like a challenge that maybe they don't really want to. You know, deal with on their own, so they come see a therapist, even though they're not like going through like a mental or emotional, you know, situation or illness, for example, right? And that that's to me that's really interesting. It's also really really good because now you're proactively trying to like it's that wellness side I was talking about, like your vitamin. You're proactively trying to prevent something from going a little bit darker or harder, right? So that's where you see a lot of that. And then sometimes you do see people that have mental illness as well. So right now majority of the cases I'll see or clients I see are young adults. There are a lot of you know college students, young professionals, etc. A lot of married couples as well. Um, and then older couples will be individuals that are having a hard time with like a teenage kid or a teenage you know child, right? So um, you, you kind of see a mix of that. Then to your second half of your question about the cost. Um, so look, I mean, <clears throat> I think as a Muslim community, we're, we're becoming we're realizing more and more um, that services and time are critical, you know, um, things that we need for a healthy, functioning community. Right. Back to the example I gave about the Ottoman Empire and, and the hospital and and trying to solve for people's wellness from a different different perspective. Right. So the first challenge I would have is that I think as a community we should make it easier for individuals who can't afford these type of services, like you mentioned to find resources that are out there that could, right? And uh, there are a lot of options out there. There's, um, if you call any therapist, you could ask them, hey, do you have any type of scaling, um, sliding scale for your fees? So what a, what a sliding scale is that, okay, if your fee is this amount, if I come from a, a, a income level that's maybe not that high, do you have a, a lower fee that you charge for this specific category, right? Uh, and a lot of therapists will have that, right? Now the thing is, like a lot of times, majority of the therapy clients might be able to afford it because someone might ask, "Well, if, if someone could slide their pricing down so much, why don't just have that fixed cost?" 
the reality is that some people might be able to afford a more reasonable amount, right? Just like when you go to a doctor, right? You, you, you pass them the insurance card. But if you don't have an insurance card, they say, well, here's our cash prices, right? And then if you say, well, I can't afford this cash amount, the doctor might be like, well, okay, based on your income, here's what you can afford, here's what you can pay, right? So now in mental health, it's kind of like the same thing. So you could call a therapist, accept a scheduled appointment, and say, hey, look, here's why I need your help, but this is all I can afford. Do you have like a sliding scale that kind of fits that? Okay, that's number one. Number two, I do think there's more and more resources online um, that can help you connect with a mental health specialist that might be more affordable. Like so, like there's universities that offer, um, like they might have students in training that could afford a little bit more affordable, you know, uh, counseling and, and services that might have very qualified people as well, right? So, so I think the answer is twofold. One is don't let the cost prohibit you from seeking the help that you might need, or not even the help, just, just you know, reaching out to someone. And just, you know, be bold and ask, hey, look, what's your sliding scale? Like, I'm a student, I can't afford it, right? Um, and, and, and get that pricing. And most of the therapists, if they say, hey, I don't have a sliding scale, but here's some resources you can contact that I think that, that might have that, they might be able to send you in a direction that might have some really good resourcing and help at a, at a price that someone could afford, right? Um, but I've also seen in this field, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, right? Because when you go to see a doctor, okay, like you're walking away with like a prescription or you're walking away with some type of diagnosis. So you're like, okay, yeah, you know, um, I, I'm getting what I paid for. Uh, I know sometimes in, in the mental health field, people feel like, well, you're just, you know, sitting around and, you know, like, like what's the service I'm paying for, right? But how that now people are realizing that people that are licensed, that are, you know, uh, have invested like a, because even to be a therapist, like in Texas, for example, right? You got to do your master's. You got to finish, you know, over 3,000 hours to get your licensing in the state, right? Then you can become a licensed professional counselor and like, it's a process. And, you know, and these individuals are, are putting money and time and effort into this, right? So I think people are realizing, okay, there's, there's a cost for this service, that's critical. And here's like the benefit I get out of it. So I think, I think the narrative is changing. Um, I know before people would, you know, they'll go out to eat and spend like 150 bucks. But when it comes to seeing a therapist about like, you know, an issue they're going through, they're like, okay, I can't justify that, right? So I'm like, wait, you're feeling your tummy, but like, isn't like your mental and emotional health a little bit better, more important? So, you know, so I think the narrative is changing, alhamdulillah, and I think people realize it. But if, if people can't afford it, there's, there's uh, resources out there. What else you guys got? Yeah. Is a practicing Muslim sinful if he commits suicide? Oh, great question. Look, um, <clears throat> so... First and foremost, I want everyone to understand, going through any type of mental or emotional or physical challenge does not mean anyone has weak iman. Does not mean that they're weaker in the sight of Allah. Hands down. We have to really, really believe that and we have to really, really accept that. Right? Because Allah is our creator. He's our Rabb. He's the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. And Allah says in the Quran that He does not test us with a burden which we, we cannot bear, right? And Allah also says, with every difficulty comes ease. Now, for some individuals, that difficulty might be financial. For some individuals, that difficulty might be, you know, um, mental, might be physical, etc., etc., right? So we know that as believers, we're all going to be tested. We're all going to be challenged in certain ways, right? So hands down, if any one of us here feels like, well, I wish I was emotionally stronger. I wish I was mentally stronger. 
why do I also get like, you know, I'll always get so sad. Why am I, why are my emotions fluctuating between anxiety and happiness and this and that? Look, whatever tests you're going through, Allah does not forsake us. Right? And Allah loves us. And it's always a way to find a way to get a solution for that. There's a way to get, right, to maintain that and to come out, of, come out of it in a way that's inshallah ideally best for you in this life but more importantly the best for you in the hereafter right so so that's that's you know rule number one inshallah now if someone's suicidal and they're, they're, they're thinking about suicidal thoughts you know I think alhamdulillah we live in a day and time where Allah has given us the opportunity to find resources and answers at our fingertip like we could easily like pick up a phone or a laptop, a tablet, whatever it is, talk to a friend, and find resources that could help us proactively, right? So when I talked about the difference between mental health and mental, mental illness, the biggest challenge is that we have to be proactive to maintain that health, right? Or if we have a mental illness, we have to be proactive to find a solution for that. So if, if someone is going through suicidal thoughts or they, they think they might be suicidal, the first thing is, you know, look, you, you have people that love you and care about you around you. And if you, if you don't perhaps realize that in the moment, inshallah, there's, there's always someone there. And, and Allah is the one that, that knows that better than we know ourselves, right? And when it comes to the resources, the first thing I would ask anyone that, that has those type of thoughts, inshallah, is to really, really seek some help. And the easiest way to seek help is there's like a suicide hotline. That's like a toll-free number that's, um, you know, uh, it's maintained by individuals that, that specialize in this, right? And will find ways to help you get the right help and the right resourcing that you need to help with whatever situation you're in, right? Look, Allah knows our intentions. Allah knows who we are. Allah knows the challenges we're going through, right? Allah knows the difficulties we go through. You know, subhanAllah, it's, it's, it's amazing to me when the Prophet says, you know, uh, when revelation would come to him, like he once went to the, he once went under his blankets said, cover me, cover me, cover me, right? And that really shows you the Prophet we know is the best of the best, right? The best of, of, of mankind. Also went through really difficult times. And a lot of times if you guys are in your bed and you're going through a hard time, like you know you have a challenging day, maybe you have like this really hard like chemistry exam or whatever, and you're, you're laying down in bed. Do you guys ever want to get out of your covers? Like, I love being in my cover. Like, if it's a cold day, I was born and raised in Chicago, and I'm like, man, I don't want to get out of these covers. Like, this is like my comfort zone, right? And your comfort, your bed, and your, and your, 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 your comforter is like your source of security. And the prophet said, someone was saying, cover me, cover me, cover me, because he was going through a hard time. He was going through a challenge, right? But then Allah says, arise and warn. Like, he Allah almost like helped the prophet say, them through that. So, you know, going through a situation where someone is suicidal and, and thinking about it you know it's a very very hard place to be right and then you know it's something that unless someone has really been in that situation we can't sit here and say i know what you're going through and and what anyone that's going through in that situation is difficult and may allah bring ease to them may allah bring clarity to them and may allah bring them a, a way out inshallah um but i do ask that there's people around you that love you there's there's ultimately allah that loves you and Allah wants us to be individuals that, that find the solution that's healthy, that's within the realm of, of our religion and what we have to do. 
And like I said, alhamdulillah, we live in a time now that there's some amazing resources out there. So for that individual, I would say, besides being worried about that answer, be someone that, inshallah, knows that you got a community behind you that loves you and cares for you. So find someone that can maybe help you, find the resource to find help. And if you can't find someone, at least try to reach out to that hotline, inshallah, that I talked about. And if someone could Google it and just send it to me, I'll, I'll give you guys a phone number. Um, it's the suicide hotline, inshallah. Um, and I think it's it's crazy, but you know, I think it's one of those numbers that we should all have on us because you might not know if it's if it's not you, you might know someone else that's that needs it. I mean, I I've, I've been on the road driving to Jumma to pray my salah, and I'll get a phone call from someone saying I'm having suicidal thoughts, right? And I'll have to literally pull over and and, and see. You know, in that moment, you know, and, and sometimes these aren't like clients that have an appointment with you. They're just, it's a brother that I know or something like that, right? So, you know, so these are real things and we have to be careful of it, inshallah. So, um, but yeah, if someone has that number. It's 988. Uh, what is it? 988. 988 is the number? Okay. And if you, you could call them, they have like anonymous chat as well. Um, and I think back to your question, like this is one of those things where like, for a minute, let's not worry about what faith that person that's helping you comes from. When we talk about like the priorities of our religion, the Makassid, like preservation of life is the most important thing, right? Um, and then when someone's at that state where they think they might be uh, at a point of taking their own life, you know, um, their, their, their challenge might be beyond a, 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 a challenge of faith in that moment is getting that person to be safe, right? So, um, that's my approach to that, inshallah. And, and, and you know, inshallah, if you um, have any more specific questions about that, you can email us at info at rahmaninstitute.org and inshallah, we'll try to uh, help and assist in, in however way we can, inshallah. So what are some takeaways you guys going to have um, from, from this quick talk, inshallah, conversation? And if, if people are, are, are online on live, they could, you know, send it if there's a chat feature there too. But like, what are some of the top takeaways you guys have? I mean, I never knew, I guess, how deeply that, like, other aspects of, like, intelligence and, like, well-being were engraved. And, like, when you mentioned the thing about the Ottoman Empire and that hospital, like, I never, like, obviously we know, like, you know, uh, there are elements in our being that, like, help us, you know, be emotionally well, be, be how to be a good friend and stuff like that. But I never knew, like, there are institutes and places like that that, did that that's really cool it is really cool yeah i think that really goes to show like how like our our dean is a holistic religion subhanallah right like that really caters to us as an individual end to end and even as a community at a a holistic level end to end as well and that's really really beautiful subhanallah yes somebody shared on the live that mental health issues don't equal low iman absolutely yeah yeah like we talked about uh, mental health issues any test that we go through, and, 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 and at least for the topic we have today, mental health issues do not mean low iman at all, 100%, right? And um, it's difficult because, you know, with mental health issues, like a lot of times people feel like they're alone, right? Like if someone went and like turned, his, to turn the lights off in this room, like it's going to be dark. And we all know we're sitting in darkness. With mental health challenges, sometimes people sit in darkness when the lights are still on. Right, so everyone around them thinks everything is okay, but they're going through a really, really hard time, and and because of that, 
a lot of times people start thinking this is a faith issue. This is a Iman issue. Like Allah is doing this because I'm not a good enough Muslim. And that's not the case at all. Right? Because we know, even when it comes to physical issues, some of the most, you know, perhaps individuals that are on the deen and practicing have physical challenges. I mean, if we talked about the Prophet losing a child, a young child, that's a huge test for any parent to go through. Right? So, all these tests that we go through, including mental illness, and let's emphasize that because of the topic today, are not low iman, right? These issues don't go away by you just praying more. They don't go away by you just, you know, perhaps reading more Quran, right? That's why, like we emphasize today, like sometimes you have to go see a professional to help you out with that. And that's okay. Because even in our history, we've seen that institutions were set up to help individuals in these situations, right? So thank you for that. I mean, one of the key take- takeaways should be mental, um, low iman is not uh, a sign of mental illness. But proactively, Allah has given us solutions that we have to seek and resources we have to use to help us get through that. So number one is maintaining our mental wealth and our emotional wealth, wealth, wellness, but also finding solutions when things aren't going the way they should be going. Great reminder. Thank you. What else you guys got? Anything else? Any other questions here? Uh, I think there's a question. Okay. Uh, what do you do if you have a severely depressed father who refuses to go to therapy and it's negatively impacting your whole family? SubhanAllah. Yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, what do you do if someone has a severely depressed father or loved one, for that matter, who refuses to go through therapy um, and is impacting the rest of the family? Um, yeah, you know, there is a cultural taboo when it, keep, when it comes to seeking counseling, right? Um, and there is also a cultural taboo. Forget counseling for a minute. If any individual, especially if a man is going through like a depression, they, they internalize it quite a bit and um, they have a hard time seeking help, right? It, it kind of goes against the whole like the macho-ness of, of what a man is kind of made out to be in this toxic society we live in, right? So I think... First and foremost, we have to look to the life of the Prophet right? who as a man um, was humbled himself to be able to go seek counsel and help and, and, and the human touch when he was going through a hard time. Like we talked about when Revelation first came to him, he was scared. And who assured him that he wasn't someone that's a madman or, or, or possessed? It was his wife, Khatija, let me please with him, right? So number one, Sometimes when individuals, especially men, um, who kind of like hide behind like this, I'm a religious person and, and I have to be, have a strong faith. When you show them that within our faith, there's actually examples of, of seeking assistance, seeking help. That kind of maybe helps them understand that, okay, maybe there's a way out. But also helping them understand that, you know, as a licensed therapist, for example, like we live by a code of conduct that says like, we can't violate someone's privacy, right? This confidentiality when someone comes to us as a therapist, right? So sometimes as Muslims, we feel like, okay, wait, if I go talk about my issues, everyone's going to know my issue, right? So sometimes as an older, you know, perhaps father, they might feel like, well, one, I can't show weakness to my kids. But secondly, if I go seek help, like someone might think I'm weak or other people might know my problems, right? So the more we can educate this person to show them like, look, Seeking advice, seeking counsel, seeking help, seeking, yeah, that's important. Um, it can be done in a way that's 
within our, our Islamic you know, um, context. So maybe find, helping them find a Muslim therapist that they might be comfortable with. Um, or if they want to go to a non-Muslim because they might feel like that's more anonymous, that, that could be something that's helpful too. But then also knowing that their, their, their privacy is going to be upheld and their issues are not going to be uh, spread uh, amongst other people. That might help. If it doesn't help, then if that individual is, is kind of stuck in their thinking, stuck in their ways, then I would say that individual who is asking that question, if that question is relevant to them, they should make sure that the behavior of that individual, their father, is not impacting them mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and socially, and it's not impacting the loved ones around that person. So maybe their own mother, maybe their own siblings, etc. right? Because um, sometimes individuals don't change until they decide they want to change, right? That's, that's a big part of, of this challenge of mental and emotional and, and social health, and even spiritual health, right? I mean, how many times do we come and ask maybe our scholars and teachers for like, advice about something, but it's hard for us to implement that advice, right? So, you know, um, <clears throat> so that individual is perhaps not keen or open to seeking advice or seeking uh, counseling, even if we help them water it down in a way that's relevant for them, we show them the benefits and we kind of try to address their, you know, cultural taboos, then we got to make sure that at least those that are around them are not being impacted. Because, I mean, that question, you know, hits it on the nail, like sometimes... The individual that's refusing to seek counseling that needs it the most will impact the people around them in such a negative way that starts impacting their lives as well, right? So when we talk about the balance of mental health and mental illness, sometimes maybe it's not you that's going through a mental illness, but because of your mental health and maintaining that wellness, you got to seek some help yourself, right? So how do you create boundaries around you that are helpful, that make sure that you're not um, falling for some type of, you know, challenge or issue. I mean, when Yusuf Islam had that dream, who did he go to for advice? He went to his father. And then who did his father advise him to be careful of? His who? His brothers. Right? So subhanAllah, you know, there's a really beautiful example within our religion about creating proper boundaries even with those amongst you. Right? Um, because sometimes it's the people around you that might be putting you in a situation or challenging in a way that's difficult. So, so may Allah bring, bring ease to that person. May Allah give that person the opportunity to um, get the help that they need. Inshallah. She's, she's tapping you to ask the question. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I had a question. Oh, okay, okay sorry. Yeah. Um, how would you go about helping someone who who you can see is going through some sort of like uh, issue, but they don't want to talk about it or like they don't they don't want your help okay yeah so yeah a lot of times as brothers and sisters and as friends we're always going to meet someone that's going through a hard time and either one they don't want to admit it or maybe one they don't want to get the help they need through you as that channel right mm -hmm. so i think my advice and just as like a like a human as a brother right mm -hmm. is still being a still continue being there for them as a friend, right? Like, you might not be, you don't, you don't have to be that person that solves that issue for them, but maybe you're the friend that's always still there for them, that doesn't judge them, that doesn't, you know, uh, you know, kind of betray them or stop hanging out with them. But at the same time, you're finding a way 
that that person might understand and feel that they should be seeking help or, or finding help for whatever challenge they're going through, right? So maybe being creative in how you, you approach that person. So what I mean by that is maybe <clears throat> if you tell that person a friend, like, hey, look, um, maybe you need to go see a therapist for what you're going through. Like maybe they, they might, you know, take that, that statement in the wrong way. It might be become, they might become defensive, right? So you gotta be kind of creative about it. So maybe you say, oh my gosh, I, you know, I feel so bad. Like what can I do as a friend to help you out? Like put it back on them to see how they think as a friend, you could be there for them to help you out. If they still refuse, try to be creative, like put yourself into their shoes. You know, maybe you gotta spend more time on, with them. Maybe you gotta check up on them, right? Maybe you try sending them resources anonymously, right? Or maybe you bring them to a lecture that talks about a specific topic that you, that you want them to hear. So, um, and, and I say this, you know, when I was in college, I had a friend who was going through a really hard time and he got stuck on some like really, really bad like addictions and drugs and stuff, right? And honestly, like as a Muslim community, like we kind of turned our backs on him, right? And then like he sent the MSA like this long email saying, hey, look, you know, when I needed you guys to me to be there for me, like you guys weren't there for me, you know? And I got the help I needed through like this non-Muslim circle that I had. And like, like it was kind of like a aha moment for me. I was like, you know what, Subhanallah, like, I mean, yeah, maybe a lot of us didn't want to be seen with this guy because he was going through a hard time and we don't want to be associated with him. Mm-hmm. But was it really right of me to like, not be there for him as a friend in the moments when he actually needed it the most, right? There's like some like interesting studies that are out there now about like helping individuals individuals with addictions. Because usually when someone has like a really bad bad addiction, the people closest to them start getting further and further away from them. Because they hate the addiction that that person has, right? So now that person that's an addict, not only are they feeling bad about themselves and their addiction, Mm-hmm. Now they're like, you know what? The people around me are hating me and they don't, they're not around me anymore. And they feel more and more isolated. Mm-hmm. And the more and more isolated they feel, the more and more depressed they feel. And the more and more they typically get into their addiction, right? So there's some studies that show like, hey, look, now if you kind of flip the narrative and you should try to show people that have addictions, like a little bit more like, hey, yeah, look, you made a mistake, but I'm still there for you. Like, I still love you as a person. Like, I know this addiction doesn't define you. I know these drugs are, are making you behave in a way that's not you, right? Sometimes like that positive enforcement and that positive love allows that individual to seek help with someone that they, you know, that they know that someone cares about them and has your back rather than just being alone and isolated and thinking like they have this uphill battle that they have to climb on their own, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that was a pretty long answer. Um, so yeah, I think to kind of, kind of recap that one, still be there for them as a friend mm-hmm. to be creative in how you try to find a solution for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it means like kind of like finding different ways to kind of give them the, the advice and, and, and three, just don't give up. Right. And if you think what they're going through is negatively impacting you, mm-hmm. right. Then you got to kind of find other people that can maybe step in and help out. Right. Cause you never want to be in a situation where like you now end up, doing the behavior that's negative, right? Mm-hmm. So um, maybe there's like someone that's maybe more experienced in that area, whatever challenge you're going through, you know, maybe you go ask them for advice, right? Like, so for example, like, um, let me give one that I see a lot. <clears throat> so if like a friend starts taking drugs, mm-hmm. and has an addiction, right? If you don't know how to, and you, you try to talk to them about it, you try to like address it with them, you know, your friends are talking about it and they're just completely like, 
neglecting any advice you give. <clears throat> There's like um, a substance abuse hotline you could call. Just say, hey, look, I have a friend that's going through this severe addiction. What are some resources that you think could help this individual, right? So even though you're not like the therapist or the counselor, you can find resources in, the, in different methods that might be helpful for that person, right? And then they might be able to give you advice that's relevant for that situation that you might find helpful, inshallah. Okay? So don't give up, inshallah, and, and be there. I mean, look, like we talked about in the beginning, like, you know, we live in a time where we're physically connected more than ever before, but we're isolated and depressed more than ever before, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes that human connection that Allah wants us to have, mm-hmm. smiling at each other, visiting each other, etc., it, it, it helps a lot in these situations, inshallah, right? And, and, and people won't change at the pace you want them to change, they're going to change when they have the ability and they make the decision that they're ready for the change, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes as individuals, it's hard for us to grasp that, right? Like, I mean, I've known people that have gone through some severe addictions and like, you know, as friends and families, we'll sit around and say, gosh, why can't that person just stop doing that, right? Um, it's easy for us to say that. But when someone's actually going through that challenge on a day-to-day, it's very difficult for them to actually do that. So, so we got to continue to be there for them, inshallah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Great question. He's not going to end the live feed until you show up. No, I'm kidding. Thank you so much for your time uh, today. Um, this was very, I, I pray that was beneficial, inshallah. Uh, hopefully you guys all take away something um, you guys can practice from it, inshallah. Uh, it, it was beneficial for me just coming out here and seeing you guys uplifts me, inshallah. So it's part of my self-care package. I'm gonna uh, so I appreciate you guys coming out, inshallah. So inshallah we'll end with dua, inshallah. Awad billahi min shaitan rajim, sallallahu rahman rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad wa baraka sallam. Ya Allah, give us the strength to overcome our challenges in a way that you know is best for us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, always help us to be on a path of, of, of good mental health, emotional health, social health, spiritual health, and physical health, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Mm-hmm. Ya Allah, protect us from tests that are hard and difficult for us, Ya, ya Rabbil Alameen. Mm-hmm. Ya Allah, help us from challenges of severe mental illness, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, help us to be able to find resources and help for whatever challenges we're going through, Ya Allah. Let us be a beacon of light, light and help for those that are around us that are going through challenges, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, give us the strength and the means to come together as a ummah and as a community to help each other, Ya, ya Rabbil Alameen. To not be judgmental, Ya Allah, but to be loving and caring, Ya Allah. To be the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Ya Allah, in everything that we do and how we help each other, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ala alihi wa alhamdulillah. Thank you guys. Appreciate your time.